look at him, Ray's going fast. <laughs> you want to describe what he's doing, Andrea? Well, uh, hopefully it's not fox poo that he's rolling in, because he's doing that thing where you, they rub their ear into the ground. Look at him go, at him. he's running. Oh, oh look at that face, look. hello. This week on Walking the Dog, I took my Shih Tzu Raymond to the beautiful village of Ashstead in Surrey to hang out with the wonderful presenter, writer and loose woman, Andrea McLean. Andrea lost her dog Jackson recently and it was really moving to listen to how he'd helped her through some tough times and also how she was able to make sense of his loss, which I hope anyone who's experienced the loss of a pet will really relate to. Andrea is such a warm, honest person and she opened up to me about her childhood, moving around the world and what effect that had, her long, impressive career in TV and also her relationships and how she's evolved and finally found the one in her husband, Nick, who joined us on the walk and was just basically the nicest man in the world. We also talked about her experiences of the menopause, which she's really opened up the discussion around in her book, Confessions of a Menopausal Woman, which is brilliant, so do check it out. And also her tour later this year, which is also called Confessions of a Menopausal Woman, which you can book tickets for at her website, thisgirlisonfire.co.uk. And she really is, by the way. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here's Andrea. Hi, Spike. How are you oh, doing? Yeah, I know, I know. Is it, is it borrowed it's a borrowed dog? No. He's a postman. It's, he's my dog. Hello. Are you the local postman? Yes, this is Spike the postman. Oh, nice to meet you, Spike. <laughs> how are you doing? See, everyone knows me. Chelsea, I'm an Arsenal fan. See no you fighting, no fighting. <laughs> I'll set the dog like on you. See you on the big night. I like your dog <laughs> We're both through. We should be happy. You've got to win it though, haven't you? Yeah, all right, don't rub it in, mate. I'm going on a spike. <laughs> throwing, me, throwing me football shade. Hi, Spike. That was, just for the benefit of anyone who's listening here, Yeah, that was uh, Andrea McLean's postman. He's called Spike, and what I love is he had a high-vis tabard with the words, Chelsea till I die, Spike. <laughs> oh, no, um, Spike... He's, he's just a part of the, the village, really. Everybody knows Spike. And little things like if, if um, something's been addressed wrongly, he, he knows where it should really go, so you still get it anyway. Well, you know, he's I wouldn't a, he's, argue with he's Spike. He's a proper old-fashioned postman. He's brilliant. Is that one of the nice things about living outside of London, do you think? Or just yeah. you know, It's a beautiful village we're in. I don't want to give too much away yeah. in case you'd rather not but what, can we say what part of the world oh, do you know it, it's fairly common I live in mm. um, it's a little village called Ashted in Surrey and, and there's Postman Spike yeah not with a black and white cat more a black and white tat <laughs> I would say he looked like he might have a tattoo thanks <laughs> it probably said Chelsea yeah yeah <laughs> Um, um, but it's lovely here I'm, I moved here from London nearly 13 years ago Oh, did you? Do you know what? I always do this, Andrew. I get to this point and I'm like, I haven't even introduced the podcast properly. Oh, okay. I always do like a false beginning like this and then I have to go back and do... <laughs> I'm really excited about this because I love this woman and she's a bit of an icon for me and I've read her book, which we're going to talk about and I'm going to go and see her show. Cross over uh, here. I'm with Andrew McLean. 
Hello. I made it sound like Andrew McLean. That's fine. That's what I was supposed to be. <laughs> the, only, the only reason that I'm Andrea is because I was supposed to be a boy. And when I was born and I was a girl, they just made it Andrea instead of Andrew. So What a pro this woman is. She turned my mistake into a seamless link. This is what so many years of experience in TV does. Um, so we've come to meet you in your beautiful village of Ashstead. We've already met Postman Spike in his black and white tat. <laughs> and your lovely husband, Nick, who had me at Would You Like a Cappuccino, <laughs> has joined us. So you might hear Nick. Oh, oh what's going on? Having a little moment. This is, he's doing a poo. That's Raymond, not Nick, by the way. <laughs> I think we've got a bigger bag for Nick. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger bag. <laughs> oh, I nearly stood in it! <laughs> okay. I mean, we're not even six minutes in the dramas. <laughs> when he's got to go, he's got to go. Again, that's, that's Raymond, not Nick. So, Nick, I'm picking this up. So you will have Nick <coughs> chipping in from time to time. Because I think it's nice that he could come with us. So I want to talk to you. We should start with dogs, really, just yeah. because partly the reason I wanted to chat to you is I know that you lost your dog recently and it was so sad and you talked about it publicly and I get a lot of people and you're listening to this podcast and getting in touch saying they've experienced that and it's tough, isn't it? Do you know, it's, if you don't have a dog you won't understand what the big deal is because you think it's just it's just an animal what you know you know it's not going to live forever so surely you just need to pull yourself together and and, and deal with it but actually a dog becomes one of your family and uh and jackson was he, yeah he 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 was my third child really because i i got him he was nine when he died I got him when Amy was two-ish, something like that, and I'd started to feel really broody. And it was one of these weird things that only women can understand, where you start smelling babies everywhere and you just feel like, oh, I, I think I want another, I think I want another baby. And I, to be honest, I think I was, I was becoming menopausal and the hormones were rushing. Yeah. And it was that last that kind of, last that last thing, thing. yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, so I did the sensible thing and I got a dog instead. <laughs> and uh, we, we went to, to we, we looked into what kind of dogs would be right for us. And Finley, my son, has asthma and eczema. And so we, we needed an anti-allergy dog. So we ended up uh, getting a Labradoodle. Now, when we went to get Jackson, the, the, the breeder that we went to get, and we did look down the the... Uh, rehoming route yeah. and the, that sort of thing but we because again of allergies and young children in the house we thought actually no we're, we're going to go and get a dog that exactly suits what we need so when we went to get him the the breeder said um oh no don't pick that one he's not a good example of of the breed but I loved him instantly because all the others had very tight curly hair and looked very labradoodly and he had straight hair and literally came bounding over like a cartoon dog, yeah. you know, all legs and ears. Yeah. And I just thought, no, you've chosen me. You've come running over to me. Oh. So that was it. Jackson became a, you know, 
a member of our family. And he, um, well, sorry, I just remember because he doesn't sorry. look like a normal dog, and he was the weirdest looking dog there. And that's when I thought, no, you're you're, you're a for good me. Fit. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I've always been literally drawn to the underdog. Um, that's very good when <laughs> Nick's standing yeah. right there. <laughs> so, so yeah, he he became such a huge. He, he was one of the family, and Jackson was the kind of dog who loved everybody and everything. Yeah. He didn't have a grumpy bone in his body. I never ever saw him get cross ever, and obviously he he grew up with with kids around. Amy was a very feisty little girl. She's nearly 13 now. Um, she's a very feisty little toddler. Oh, my word. She's like yeah. your sister. M- more so. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> she, um, she, my mum reminded me of this the other day. Oh, oh there's a sorry. cyclist coming. Sorry. Oh, really? Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry. So sorry about that. I actually started writing a blog about her called Oh, Amy Jane. I will... You need to Google it. It's you would read these stories and think they cannot be true, but they are. But anyway, I'm digressing. Um, Mum reminded me the other day. She said, "Andrea, do you not remember that ta- time you were shouting across the garden, Amy, stop biting the dog?" <laughs> and that, well, not only does it sum up what Amy was like, but it also sums up what Jackson was like because yeah. he would just take it. He would. Aww. Just you know, it was this big, lovely thing. Gentle boy. Yeah, he really, really was. So that must have been so hard when you lost him. Do you know? There's never a good time to. We can cut down this way. I think. Oh, this is pretty. Come this way for a long time, but um, there's never a good time to lose a dog. But actually, when it did happen, it happened at a really, really bad time. I was in Chile filming SAS Who Dares Wins. Well, I've seen I know, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Well. I mean, so I'd literally just been through this quite incredible experience, experience yeah. which was really quite, quite harrowing and very emotional. And an, I'd been through this thing where basically a lot of, lot of memories and emotions that I'd packed away very neatly and not wanted to look at that was, were kind of thrown open and, and out there and um, so when I came back uh, or when I got out I was already feeling quite shaky and uh, I rang home to say hey you know <laughs> I've survived um, and I was on the phone to Nick and he said I didn't want to tell you this but you know Jackson was a bit poorly when you left he's really not very well and he's actually sitting I'm sitting on the floor with him now and he's got his head in my lap and he's whimpering and I think I'm going to have to take him to the vet. Do you want me to wait until you get back? And I said, don't wait. Don't wait for me. This is about him. Take him now. Take him right now. And he died within an hour. Well, he was I put said, down. If I take him to the vet, I've already been this morning. Yeah. I know he's not coming back. Oh. And that was awful. Well, I was sitting in a hotel hotel room in Chile, which sounds very glamorous, but it was this little tiny yeah. travel lodge thing halfway up a mountain, um, but you battered and bruised having gone through this, this thing. And all I could think of was, I need to be home, I need to be home, because the kids and of the kids, everything yeah. else. And but thank God you had Nick. And also, yeah. you know, I think it's that thing as well that you, it sounds like you both really made the right choice for Jackson, yeah. which is the important thing, you know. 
you know, it's weird because sometimes people would say to me when I lost my sister and my, both my parents, and some a friend said to me, they were sort of empathising, and they mentioned that their dog had died, and someone said to me, oh, that's so trivial. I said, I don't think that's trivial, that's loss. It doesn't yeah. matter what or who it is, it's just a sense of something you loved has gone, and yeah. that's valid, whatever it is, you know? That's a really lovely and generous explanation, I think. You, your loss is so extreme, and it's very generous of you to, to I, compare the two. It, do you know it's love, though, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I love this dog, Ray. I know that seems hard to believe looking at him now, but <laughs> I really do. And if anything happened to him, you know, it's not a sort of top trumps, but mm. I would be devastated. Of course. And that's valid, you know. Yeah. So, and, and was that tough with the kids, just having to sort of... I mean, they're old and they're teenagers, aren't they? So... Well... What happened was Nick rang me from the car immediately because I was just sat waiting, waiting mm. to see what was happening. And uh, he rang me from the car in tears. And then I spoke to you, didn't I, all the way home in the car. And then you sort of kept the phone going. So I, it was the weirdest thing because I heard it all. I heard him coming in. I heard him telling the kids. I heard the kids crying. It was all on speakerphone. And so I was... I was there and part of it all but not in the room all you want to do is be there and give them a give them a hug and and let them cry all over you well do you know what i think andrew and it's hard, it's so hard isn't it to deal with this kind of stuff but when i interviewed super there yeah for this podcast he we were chatting about how you know he doesn't say i own a dog he said i don't you can't own a soul but i think that thing of being a guardian you give them you know, you get maybe 15 summers if you're lucky, you know, and you, and you, you make them all lovely. Yeah. And, and now I've got my head around that. I think the, 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 first, the first moment that I, when I got back from Chile and Nick picked me up at the airport and the, the kids were away, so being, being divorced, they're away every other weekend. And it happened to be that weekend. And we got to the front door. And you know, that was the worst moment, was yeah. opening the front door and there wasn't oh. this big nose nudging its way. Because he was, he was um, hand height, if you like, in terms of like where the key was. So y- you had this yeah. little routine of you'd, you'd put the key in the door, turn it, and then as you pulled back with the key, you kind of pushed the door forward with your foot. But there would always be a nose would come out and your hand would always get licked as you, <laughs> as you pulled the key away. Oh, and I'd had years of this big kind of snuffly licky thing happening as I'm and I was so used to opening the door and going out the way out the way come on out the way I need to turn the alarm off and come on in a second let me put my bags down there was nothing mm. nobody there I just well, walked that, in the door it's that thing there's a phrase the presence of absence which I learned doing grief therapy and it's that thing that you'd come to expect without even realising Without even realising it. it you know? there was, it sounds so stupid, but there was no one to tell off. You know, there was no one to go, out the way, come on, come on, I'm going to fall over. Come on, you're under my feet. Come on, I'll give you a cuddle in a minute. Just let me put my bags and all this. And I realised I used to talk to him all day long. Oh, yeah. Come on, in a minute, let's go and do this. Is it coffee time? Is it <laughs> snack time? Is it snack time? Yes, it is. Come on, let's go and get your treat. And shall we go for a walk? Shall we go for a walk? All these Especially as crazy the kids get things. a bit older and they lead more independent lives as well. You know, I suppose yeah. it's that thing where you're doing it with a kid and then suddenly... They, get, they do go through the, you know, what are you talking about, Mum? Shut up, slam. 
I'm not saying that happens. It's yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, they withdraw, definitely. So I want to go back to, it was interesting, you just said heard. And when you said the word heard, I noticed something. Right. Which is an accent. Ah, yes. Which isn't Doesn't come out very often. <laughs> and I notice it um, because where you grew up, I want to go back to your to your childhood. Let me yeah. back to your childhood. Because um, you were born in, you lived in Scotland originally and then you moved to Trinidad. Well, my parents, are, all, all my family is Scottish. Everybody is Scottish. Um, and my parents moved to the Caribbean when they were 20 and 21 because my dad, uh, he basically left school at 15 with, with no qualifications or anything like that. And he was given the opportunity to um, uh, basically put some machinery into a, a factory. That he, he, wor- he was an engineer, so he was working building this machinery. Pool alert! <laughs> <laughs> It's not Raymond's, it's a randoms. <laughs> Random pool alert. I did this. Actually, Nick, you'll enjoy this. I did this with Gabby Logan and we did it near her. And she's not, I mean, she's not too, but she's sort of Buckinghamshire. So she's, mm. And we went for a walk and there were some people we saw and they had a bag full of what looked like poo in it. Yeah. And then Gabby said to me, Emily, you haven't got a dog with them. <laughs> Were they just picking up other people's poo? Well, Well, not people's poo. (laughs) Oh my gosh, here we go again. It was really strange. Other dogs' poo. Anyway. Well, that's very nice of them. Lots of generosity of spirit. You know, I'm very community minded, (laughs) but I wouldn't do that. Um, So let's go back to Sia. So your parents were. Your dad had moved over to. uh, Well, you'd all moved over, but your dad had got a job in the Caribbean. Yes. So essentially, my mum and dad came back to. Glasgow so that I could be born and they came back on a banana boat which sounds so romantic but basically my mum was too far gone to fly so they as in being pregnant not as in being mad yeah. <laughs> as in I can really fly no you can't Betty stop doing that um, <laughs> um, yeah so they came back and so I was I was born a month early uh, uh, in in Glasgow, in the middle of a party at my granny's flat, and <laughs> uh, they did make it to hospital. I wasn't literally born. I think that's why you're so sociable <laughs> and gregarious, though. You were born literally in the middle in of a party, party. Yeah. having to make small talk, <laughs> <laughs> having to think, oh well, here I am. I'm going to have to try and learn to get along with these people. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> And and so uh, a month later, they um, when I was born, I was so tiny. I was uh, four pounds eleven, and I was in an incubator for a while because I was so premature and, and little. And obviously, it was nineteen sixty nine. So nowadays, you'd, I suppose it would be a bit more. Uh, no, I'm still going. Actually, it would be a bit more. No, I'm still going. Nick's regular. Very kindly offered to take our coffee cups. I love Nick. Can I, can <laughs> I have a Nick? You do. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, I was really, really, I was really wee. Apparently I had spaghetti arms. <laughs> I was very small uh, when I was born. And then, and they had to feed me up, as they put it, um, so that I was able to fly, because I had to be over a certain weight. I can't remember what it was, but I was little. So anyway, they, I went back to where mum and dad were living, uh, which was Trinidad and Tobago, you, and that was where I grew up. There? Do you <laughs> know they were very busy, so I just said, you know, you go on ahead. 
I'll meet you there. It's all fine. <laughs> I know they had a lot on. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so did you, going back, I mean, you went to, you spent time then, you were there until you were 15, pretty much. Is that right? Yeah, we Caribbean. had a few years out in the middle where, um, and we also moved around quite a bit in between that as well. So my dad changed jobs a few times. So we moved around within Trinidad. So that meant changing schools. Um, and then at seven or eight, we, we left Trinidad, went to, um, we lived with my granny for a little while in Glasgow. Then my dad got a job in Bromley in Kent. So we moved down to Beckenham. I lived in Beckenham for a little while. I went to a school there for a few months. And then we moved to the Philippines. So my dad got wow. a job there. So we lived literally out in the bush. And when kids these days won't even understand what this, this would be like, but um, basically where we moved to hadn't been built yet. So when we got there, they had a few, literally, I think three houses um, in a little group. And my dad, because he was an engineer... Sorry, look, Ray follows him. He, Nick is very... He's, he's like a dog good. whisperer. <laughs> it's like Dr. Doolittle. He just kind of wanders along and animals follow him. So all that moving oh, yes. around, yes, Andrew, lived in that Beckham. must have had a big effect on you. Because I, I say that because I had a sort of similar background to you. We moved to... My parents... I always say my parents would move continents like other people switch TV channels. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, we'll go to Australia. Oh, we'll go... Yeah. And so that thing of moving schools and like you, I had a sibling, I had a sister. And it meant that <coughs> we very much sort of were a unit and clung together. And I also had that sense of feeling I had to always sort of um, be likable in yeah. any situation. Is that something that you identify with? 100%. I think um, my sister and I reacted very differently to being moved around a lot and I don't know if it's because she was younger than me or just has a different personality to me but we we both cope with it very differently after when we when we moved to the Philippines and we were in the middle of nowhere I mean literally no phone no electricity overnight uh no school nothing so my mum taught us for a year my mum's not a teacher she trained as a hairdresser um and there's no internet because that hadn't been invented yet, kids. <laughs> Get your head around that. Um, so what so was, it we... was it? I think it was 1062. That for now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we were we were taught by correspondence course. So it was everything was posted, and it, you know, like I say, in the middle of nowhere. So when we moved back to Scotland, when I was nine, um, I remember going to school, and. It felt like I was Mowgli from the Jungle Book. It was like rejoining the human race. And I was so almost overwhelmed by all these kids yeah. that I found it really hard to sort of settle back in again. And I, whereas my sister literally just kind of dusted herself off, walked in, instantly made 100 friends and was great with it, whereas I was much more reserved. And with the kind of hindsight of adulthood, I think... I've, I realised actually what I was doing was protecting myself a little bit from the disappointment of yeah. of moving again. Because um, we then moved, d d just to interject, we, we moved back to Scotland when I was nine. Yeah. Lived there for a, a, 
I don't really know how long, maybe just under a year. And then we actually moved back to Trinidad again. Mm. And so when we moved back, obviously all the friends that I'd had when I was seven or eight, mm. they'd kind of moved on. So then you have yeah. to sort of start again yeah. and get back in, but not be quite back in. It's sort of a weird thing to move back to where you were. Um, and then I was there f- until I was 15. And then we moved back to the UK. And th- th- then that was where we, then we eventually settled. And we moved to uh, the Midlands. So that was where I stayed. I think what was really strange was that we'd always treated the UK as home because obviously mum and dad are Scottish or my family are are from the UK. So we would come back here on holiday uh, to see family and everything else. But when we moved back, I realised actually I didn't fit in here at all. I was a foreigner. And that's a really strange thing to come back to what's supposed to be your homeland but actually you don't fit in because... I had a I had a broad Caribbean accent. I used to talk like that because that's how my friends all spoke and that's, you know, how I how I grew up. And I was a a white girl in the Midlands with a Caribbean accent which went down very strangely. <laughs> As you can imagine. It's got that way. Um but I don't actually think that was the reason why I ended up getting bullied. The the reason I got bullied at school was actually because I another girl was being bullied and I stepped in and I stepped in to help her and I think that would have happened anyway I don't think it had anything to do with me being sounding different or anything like that Um, but it is interesting because that again is putting you it is a sort of different it's a point of difference because I suppose what you're doing is saying no that's not okay and you're speaking out against it so you're not going with the crowd are you I've never gone with the crowd I've never been a gone with the crowd person. I've never felt like I fitted in with the crowd. I've always been on the Why outside do you think looking that is? in. I don't know. I, I, and again, this is what's so fascinating with my sister and I, and we're really close. Um, because I think you're right as well. You talk about your sister because we moved around so much, and it was just the, the it was the two of us with mum and dad, and um, and we're a very close family. But my sister has always responded to things very differently to me and she jumps straight in with the crowd and is very gregarious and is such a, um, you know, she's a kind of life and soul of the party kind of person. Everybody loves Linda. She's She's a wonderful human being. Whereas I will go to the same thing and stand at the side and watch. I wanted to ask you as well, academically, you... You know, I've heard you describe yourself as someone who is very, I'll get my homework done, I'm always on time, you know, and that's what I would, you always look immaculate. Uh, I saw Nick laughing when I said that. Um, Is there a reason for that, Nick? She is an absolute, very good student. Are you? Yeah. Homework, it is done. Is that right? Yeah, but do you know where that stems from? It stems from I don't like getting into trouble. It doesn't stem from wanting to be, you know... Yes, miss, yes, miss, I'm, you know, here's my homework. It comes from, I don't like being told off. I don't... Wanting to be liked. One, yeah. Would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And also, I don't know, it creates less noise if you just do it. Mm. Then there's no fuss. Look at him, Ray's going fast. <laughs> you want to describe what he's doing, Andrea? Well, uh, hopefully it's not fox poo that he's rolling in, because he's doing that thing where you, they rub their ear into the ground. He's very... He's really happy, isn't he? Do you know, this really makes me want to move to the country, just because... Look how happy he is. This is where dogs should be, really. Look at him go! He's running! Running, running! Oh, Oh, look at that face! Hello! 
look at that. Um, but were you a sort of conscientious, were you, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you moved around a lot, so you yeah. never really had a chance to almost create an identity. You know, when people talk about, I was in this team at school, I was the SWAT, I was the, mm. I yeah, understand I what it's like where, you, I became a bit of a sort of, like just wh wherever I turned up, I'd be whatever they wanted me to be. Yeah. Were you a bit like that? Yeah, definitely. I'd, um, not, not to the extent that I kind of, you know, you talk about being in with a crowd or anything like that, but do you know what's interesting? In my head, I think I just stayed almost bland enough so there's no fuss. Yes, I'm the new girl again. Because I never moved at the same time as everyone else. As in, you know, it wasn't always the start of term time or anything like that. Sometimes it'd be right in the middle of term mm. or whatever. Um, so I think I actually just tried to blend in. So that, yeah, I'm here, but you don't necessarily, don't necessarily have to look. I'll just slide in at the back and sit at my desk and in my chair. Don't yeah. everybody turn around. So I tried to be a bit more like that. I won't take up space. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think people, because you're, <clears throat> I know you're probably going to be modest and say, but you're, you're very pretty. And do you think that was something that's tougher as well? Because that can be threatening, you know. Let's just say I've you're grown laughing. in, no, I've grown into my face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but beautiful people always say that. No, seriously, I will show you a picture of what I looked like when I was younger and a, and a teenager. And I had chronic acne my mum used to perm my hair I swear it was the first form of birth control was my mum perming my hair because I had no boyfriends no one would go anywhere near me uh, yeah no there was definitely that was not an issue as in oh my god she's so gorgeous she's just trying to although you know when your no, mum always says not darling they're jealous of you I used to get so irritated I go no they're not no they, they completely <clears throat> weren't there was no jealousy <laughs> involved uh, whatsoever no no I, I you know I was when I said I was bullied at school, you know, it, I was being called spotty and, yeah. you know, pizza face and all that sort of thing. Um, so, no, it, it was so vile, isn't it, when you think about it? I mean, I, and I know, again, I, just that feeling of difference. I look back on some moments that it didn't occur to me at the time to question. I, and I think people, you know, I'm so glad now that people do speak out about it because yeah. I think we grew up with the same age in a generation where, it, oh, this is what happens. Yeah. Well, is it? It only happens because we don't challenge it. Yeah. You know, and you don't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone because I knew my parents would worry. I knew that, um, oh, again, it's a fuss. There'd be a fuss. I didn't want a fuss. I just wanted to just deal with it. Did on your my parents, own. were they the type, your mum and dad, to sort of talk about feelings or would you say. Um, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Yes and no. My mum and dad are very two different characters, I suppose. Yeah. My dad is, um, he's, he's a typical Glaswegian in that, you know, he's very, he's a very straightforward, straight talking man. Mm. But then after a few wee drams, he can, he'll, he'll cry like a baby if you start talking about anything too emotional and, you know, reminiscing and, yeah. you know, and all that sort of stuff. He gets emotional. But in terms of, we, we were a normal family of our time. I think yes. people are more open now than they were then. Um, and but in, like in terms of the, like the being bullied and, and that sort of thing, um, I remember I went, to, I went to see the headmaster. I made the appointment myself. And I went to see him and I just said, y you have a real problem here. 
there's a there's a group of kids who are making not just my life hell but a lot of other people's life hell and you're pretending it's not happening wow what are you going to do about it and he basically he he i don't think he was a very good headmaster he he basically was like who the hell are you to come in my office and tell me <laughs> tell me i run my school um yeah so it didn't really end very well and he basically told me to kind of shut up and get on with it i don't think that would happen now i think it would be but this but, was the 80s, it was different, oh, you know. Ray's going over to his met a friend. What's that dog, Andrea? I don't know. Looks Hello. like a long-haired, very old Jack Russell. He's got brilliant eyebrows. I'm assuming when you were growing up, you were moving around too much to have pets. We had, we had um, dogs in Trinidad for the last, the last... When we went back the second time. We didn't go out and get a dog. She came and found us. <coughs> she was a stray. And she just turned up at our house one day and never left. And um, my mum said... I've had boyfriends like that. <laughs> I've had husbands like that. <laughs> um, yeah, this dog turned up one day and mum said, don't, don't feed her. Don't feed that dog. And it turned out we were all feeding her, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so she stayed. And then she ended up having puppies and we kept one. And so we had two Aww. dogs until we left. So, and when, when we left um, Trinidad, she uh, was kind of taken over by the neighbours, if you like. Yeah. So we left her behind and the dog behind. You had, on your gap year, and that's where you met your first husband. No, I, I met my first no, met husband at school. school. Yeah, you met him at school, yeah. but you two travelled together, yeah. didn't you? Yeah, I sat behind him in geography, thought that he had lovely a... hair. But it's interesting because you talk about your relationships and I know mm -hmm. you're with Nick now and obviously, yeah. obviously I'm a big Nick fan. <laughs> um, I'm a big Nick fan, I'm, te great. I'm team Nick. <laughs> I love the others, but come on. Um, let's get this in perspective. So, but I think it's interesting because I wonder how we look at, I look at relationships very differently now. You know, this whole idea that our parents had of like, you marry someone, you meet them, that's it. Yeah. You're with them forever. And it's like, you know, people come in and out of your lives for different reasons. Yeah. You and I, I, I see that now, but at the time, yeah. I really wanted to have what my parents still have. Uh, they met at 15 and 16, and they've been married for 400 years and still love each other. They, and not only that, but they still like each other. Right. And that's incredible. You know, I, but I see that now as a woman, you know, I'm 15 in a few months. I now see it for what it is, which is it's incredible. But because that was how I grew up, um, and all of us as a family, we, as I think a family of two girls and obviously my mum, mm. um, we, and we were very ruled by my dad. Obviously we followed, we followed him around the world because of his job <coughs> and everything else. So I subliminally, I think I had in my head that this is what you do. You fall in love and you meet this man mm. and, uh, that's it for the rest of your life. And there may be tough times, but you get through them and you work through them and you stick with it because that's what people in love do. Yeah. Now with hindsight, I realize actually I read way too many Mills and Boons <laughs> and, <laughs> um, that I was so naive and didn't have any experience in life because he was my first boyfriend. Um, and, and I mean that genuinely, my actual first yeah. boyfriend. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have anything to compare it to or 
I didn't really have any sort of reality check, I suppose. Yeah. So when I look back now, I think, oh gosh, do you know, you poor thing, you actually, you should have seen it for what it was and it was your first serious relationship. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was to last forever. Yeah. But in my head, I, I hung in there and hung in there and no, tried really and tried and tried. In your book, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, and again, it's no disrespect. To, it's just that you could tell, as when I was reading your book, I thought, Right, well, this is over. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, yeah. again, Hello. I don't mean that horrible. Why didn't I notice that? <laughs> but I think everything has a sort of life and a death, like even relationships. Yeah. And, uh, I'm reading your book thinking, yeah, um, when you've gone on the gap year and he's gone his way and you've gone yours, now just go, now just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I but hung I'm, in there. I'm glad yeah. you didn't because you've, some lovely stuff has come out of that yeah, relationship, yeah. obviously, including your son. But yeah, I, and he's—we're both very happy now in totally I'm separate so lives. You know, yeah. we, we've both remarried, <clears throat> and yeah, uh, he's doing brilliantly well in his career, and obviously we have a son together. Um, and you nearly there was a, one of my be- favourite books in your. This is your earlier book. Yeah, um, but you talk about how what's that book called again in case anyone um, wants to order it my, my first book was called confessions of a good girl and then the book we're going to talk about in a minute is um, confessions of a menopausal woman it's a good girl which, all grown up i mean <laughs> hello Literally. my life um but in that first book you talk which i love because it's so honest and you write very honestly andrew and i think that's the thing they always say is the you need that for a writer, you know, especially if you're going to put confessions. It really is confessions, you know. You but you talk about how the Scientologists try and you <laughs> yeah. don't realise until afterwards, but you go into this thing with your boyfriend and he's your friend at that point. You're sort of having a break, aren't you? Yeah. We do I sound like a stalker? <laughs> no, no, it just sounds like you've read my book, which is lovely. No, we lovely. did that weird thing of we broke up while we were travelling, yeah. but we carried on travelling together. What a lunatic. I mean, I should have just said, no, I don't want to carry on traveling with you. Um, but do you know what he said? What are our parents going to think when we go home? And I, and again, being a good girl, I was like, oh, you're right. He pushed oh, your buttons and that's a big one for you. Our parents are going to be yeah. cross with us or whatever. And actually, we should have just gone, do you know what, let's change our tickets. And But we carried on traveling together. And he literally, I remember there was one night, he saw some girl he really liked in a bar and he was like making a play for her. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're doing this in front of me. And we're, ah. Uh, but isn't like, it weird when you think back? To, I know, I know. You think back to those situations, the producer's looking aghast. I know. That's because she's a millennial and she doesn't know what it was like. It was rough out there, girl, okay? It was rough. There weren't all these woke men that know about feminism. We had, I remember one bloke dumping me and saying to me, Barnaby, if you're listening, and um, he said to me, he split up with me. Yeah. Because I think we'll he got, got off with someone else. And then he or said... It's a stick. It's a stick, falls along. <laughs> and then he said, oh, I'm really... He said, you know, so, so that's it. He said, you know, I'm glad we could do this. He said, listen, my parents are away this weekend, though, so do you want to come over? And do you know what? I said... I thought, oh, I feel really bad letting him down because maybe I should go over. Isn't that awful? No, I totally, totally know where you're coming from. I don't want him to dislike me. And more importantly, I don't want him to tell everyone else that I'm crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I I love it if they say that. That means I I stood up for myself. (laughs) It's mad, isn't it? I know. On that note, oh, sorry, right. Right. Andrea's going to make a quick phone call um, about a business arrangement. None of your beeswax. And we're going to wait 10 minutes and then I could talk to this woman literally all day because I'm obsessed by her. And we're going to do laps of the park so, till we're dizzy. I know. So we're going, we might actually sit down for a second yeah. and then we're going to do um, All to Come. We've got 
Weatherglow, we've got GMTB, we've got Loose Women, we've got Confessions of a Menopausal Woman, which I'm very excited about. You make your phone call. Okay. And then um, I'll see you in a second. Okay. Come on, Ray. I should just explain to everyone why the sound has changed, why the Atmos has changed, because we've I'm not going to dress this up. We came into one of your lovely local pubs because you needed the. I needed a wee. We've been, been for a really long walk. <laughs> and unlike Ray, you can't just go in a bush. No, no. And in a. In, yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I could. I've done SAS Who Does Wins. I could pretty much go anywhere now. Seriously, I could fall off the that. roof backwards if you asked me to. <laughs> well, you don't have that helicopter. But we'll get on to that. I wanted to ask about where we'd got up to the last point we were chatting was when the Scientologists tried to recruit you. Yeah. We left it on that gripping cliffhanger. <laughs> and what was interesting, you were with a partner, or yeah. he was sort of not your partner at the time, it was complicated, and you were in Australia, and they, this guy approached you with a questionnaire on the street. And what I found interesting when you wrote about that in your book was that, again, it, it showed you as speaking out. You know, and as someone who tries to blend in a lot, you still, you spoke out to the headmaster, you, there seem to be these instances where you've thought enough is enough. You spoke out against the bully. Yeah. And then again, you found yourself standing up. I'd have been terrified in front of those Scientologists, but you said, okay, I'm not, I'm not interested. Do you know, I'm gonna sound like a lunatic, but that has never occurred to me before. I've never even thought about it before. I do think of myself as someone who more stands on the sidelines, but, but you're right, yeah. I, when, when something gets to a point where it's just wrong, I stand up. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not someone who necessarily feels like I need to have my voice heard at all times, but if something is wrong, then I stand up. But that's <laughs> interesting, Andrea. Where yeah. you would, so we've just got up to go around the back of the pub. Um, but I think that thing about speaking out, what I notice is in all those instances, you were standing up for someone bullied. You were standing up essentially for, you would have just walked out of there, but I feel you were partly standing up for your partner at the time who was possibly being taken in. And I think with the headmaster, you were standing up for everyone at the school. So I yeah, think you, you step in on behalf of other people rather than yourself. And what is interesting is I find it much easier to do something for someone else than I do for me. Wow, this is like therapy. How have <laughs> I never realized this before? Um, you know, like the whole thing with, uh, I know we're going to come on to it, but obviously writing a book about the menopause, I would never, ever, ever have even spoken about going through the menopause if it wasn't for the fact that thousands of women got in touch and I realised they didn't have a voice and I thought, that's not right. So yeah. I actually did it for them. I didn't do it for, for me. Yeah. But we, I guess we can come on to that. How the hell do we get in here? We go this oh, way. There we go. Can I just say, if you can hear eyes clinking, that's the producer... <laughs> who sounds like she's in the south of France. I mean, honestly, it's like working with a Made in Chelsea cast. You've got, you're like enjoying your gin tea there, love. We're just doing some, some work here. Honestly, we are working. <laughs> so well, this is good, it's got a gate so oh, we this can is shut pretty. it and then... And, and a then lovely then gate and there's lovely Farrell and wallpaper. Raymond paint can work. have a little wander about. Come on, about. Raymond, and I'll give you some water. That, I meant that to Raymond, not you. Oh, let's go in the sun, Andrea. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Nick's come back um, with a coffee. Uh, and a water. He's so Italian, I love that about him. <laughs> yeah, we can have a fag now. I mean, he Breakfast of champions. He looks a bit Clooney. He's got the Clooney thing, hasn't he? Sorry's answer to Clooney. You 
got into journalism, yes. didn't you? And you worked for a local paper? What I did was when I, I kept a really detailed diary while I was away traveling. And again, because there was no sort of internet or Facebook or blog posting or vlogging or whatever you would do now, it was literally notebooks. So I would fill them and fill them and fill them and post them all back home so that, because uh, I was scared of losing them. When I moved back to the UK after traveling, you know, we've, I've told the story often on Loose Women and my poor parents, you know, they do get very upset by this. But yes, there was an instance after the Scientology thing where I wanted to ring home to, to say, you'll never guess what just happened to me. And I rang home from a payphone in New Zealand. Again, kids, this is before mobile phones. Um, and somebody... Another round and listen to the old details of payphones. <laughs> I rang home and somebody else answered the phone. My parents had moved house. And um, if my parents are listening, my mum would be going, oh, for the love of God, Andrea, that's not exactly how it happened. It, from my end, it is how it happened because I rang home and somebody else answered the phone. They'd had to move earlier. They were moving to Africa. The chances had come to rent their house out early and they, they yeah. took it. And obviously, I'm in the wilds of Back of Beyond and they couldn't let me know. So in essence, that's what, that's what happened. So. When I was back in the UK, my parents were gone by then. They were living in Africa. The, the family home was gone. That was being uh, rented out. Uh, Mum and Dad rented me somewhere to live for six months so I could find my feet. And then after that, there, there literally was nowhere. Mm. I mean, clearly, obviously, they wouldn't have left me destitute, but there was no fallback. And actually, that can sometimes be the greatest yeah. propelling I agree. thing. So I packed up everything in the car and drove down to London. Lived in a bedsit. You did the um, weather, was it the weather? Um, channel. When, when you, it was called the weather channel at the time, yeah. And when you got that, that was something again that I got the sense of that you sort of just thought, well, that sounds good. That's totally what happened. I, I misread a job advert. Um, I, it was at the time I was applying for every single job that I could see on in the trade press. And I think it said something along the lines of journalists with on-screen presence and interest in weather. And I just saw the word journalist. thought, yeah, I'm a, I'm a training to be a journalist. Um, on-screen presence, I don't even know what that means. Um, interest in weather. Yeah, I did A-level geography. I can do this. You know like how actors go, can you horse ride and sword fight? And you go, yeah, 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 I can ride a horse and, you know, ski and... And so the GMTV move, was mm. that, when was that? That was like late 90s, was it? What happened was I ended up working for the Weather Channel for 18 months and then I got made redundant. And at the time it was devastating mm. because, one, I was really enjoying it. It was actually a really good laugh. I was working with really nice people. Uh, I was living in Earlsfield in London. Um, uh, you know, I, had, I was renting a little flat. I was sharing with um, a girlfriend who worked on the Weather Channel with me. We were having a right old great time. You literally time. were the weather girls. Yeah, we were, <laughs> we were. And then uh, I got made redundant. So I heard through the grapevine that there was a job going on GMTV. And uh, so obviously I applied for it because I thought I need, a, I need a job. And what I didn't realize was when I got called in to go for the interview, the only reason I got called in for the interview was I'd sent in my photograph 
and apparently I was a spitting image of the editor's girlfriend. And so his secretary had seen my photo, she'd opened all his mail, and literally thought, oh, this is hilarious. Walked in and went, oh my God, look at this girl, she looks just like your girlfriend. And, ended well. and they went, well, let's get her in and see if she looks like her in real life. And so I got called in, I don't know this, I've turned up bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, everything else, thinking, ooh, you know, chance to audition for GMTV. And they basically went, oh, and they're both looking at me and laughing. Scrutinising your yeah, face. Yeah, and, and going, oh my God, yeah, she does. And it was literally a case of, oh, while you're here, you might as well audition. And I was a bit crushed, because I was like, oh, okay. So anyway, I didn't get the job, but what I got was holiday cover and the opportunity to train up the person that they really wanted to do the job, because uh, they found someone they wanted, but he didn't have the skills. So they brought me oh, in to... Always the bridesmaid. <laughs> <laughs> so I trained up this guy. You know, I didn't feel bad about it. It was just how it was. So I trained him up. And uh, it actually turned out he... It didn't work out for him. He, he, he didn't take to it too easily. He got very nervous being on live television. So they called me back and said, look, can you come in and just stand in until we figure out what we're doing? So basically, I became the, oh, she'll do girl. And I got called in. And I did the job and I stayed really quiet and under the radar until mm. they kind of got used to me. And then I ended up staying there for 11 years. Wow. And then with Loose Women, because I want to get on sure, to yeah. your present situation and the tour and the book. Because all this happened around Loose Women, really. And you moved into Loose Women. When did you join the panel? Loose Women is another tale of she'll do. <laughs> um, basically, uh, I think, I can't remember if it was Kay Adams or Jackie Brambles, one of them was, was going off on maternity leave, and so they needed someone to, to stand in as anchor. And I had worked with the exec producer on a different job, and I met her for a cup of coffee one day. I was on maternity leave, and uh, j just for a, a catch-up chat and, and this sort of thing. And she said, um, uh, have you ever considered doing Loose Women? And I said, no, that's that, that's that program with the shouty women. No, no, I've never considered doing that. She said, oh, okay. So I, 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 you know, carried on with my maternity leave. I say carried on. It was 12 weeks I was off for. On my first day back, she rang and said, ah, you're back at work. Okay, um, would you come in on Thursday and anchor Loose Women because we basically want to try you out? Mm. I was so scared. So I finished my shift at GMTV at 8.30 in the morning, went straight down in the lift to the morning meeting for GMTV, literally just on a different floor, and then hosted. And then basically I got the job because I was in the building anyway. It was easy. I was already part of the kind of ITV family. And, you know, they didn't have to pay for another cab. I was already in. Um, so and that do, was how I, I got the job. You do that quite a lot, though. You say, oh, she'll do. They didn't have to pay for a cab. You put in the, the McLean caveat. Yeah. And actually, you got it because you were good. It's a female trait. It is a female yeah, trait. But, but, but not necessarily. I'm just interested in it because it's something, listen, I do it as well. And I think it's interesting that we, um, we don't want to be seen to be pushy self-promoters, you know. Oh, oh my, my word, chips! chips. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a little <laughs> surprise. Nick <laughs> got Thank you. chips. Thank you. <laughs> we weren't sure what, what were they called the chips you were going to buy, but the dirty chips. Sure. Dirty <laughs> chips. Oh. Nick, so I'm going to take a picture of this. I'm not sure which flavour Nick and Andrew with the oh, chips. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, so uh, it was at Loose Women, which you've now become, obviously, 
one oh of the gang, God, a regular I'm martial arts team member. Now, You've yeah. been there a long time. Mm. How long have you been there? I've been there 12 years. I'm the longest serving Brilliant. person ever. <laughs> so we're eating chips. We're eating chips. <laughs> um, and it was while you were there, though, mm. that you had things changed for yeah. you, didn't they? Lots and of things. Yeah. Which thing would you like to well, start with? I want to talk, because you've been open about it, but about the hysterectomy mm-hmm. and how that, you know, going through the menopause and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and that was something you were sorry, public about, and I really respected you for that. Thank you. Because women aren't often encouraged to be. I've had people say to me since then, because it happened in 2016. Yeah. Um, oh, my God, everybody's banging on about the menopause now. You're just jumping on the bandwagon. And for one, that's really unhelpful. And two, it's also really untrue. Because th- th- there was no bandwagon when I started talking about this. Mm. And if anything, you were... It was a risk talking about the menopause. Years, years before, a couple of years before... We had raised the subject in a Lucerne meeting, and at the time we had a male editor, and uh, something came up about the menopause, and we wanted to talk about it. And he said, no, we don't talk about that. It's a, it's a ratings killer. And we all kind of looked at each other and went, well, we're a female program, and we're all of that sort of age. Surely we should be talking about it. No, it's a ratings killer. It was just dropped and never mentioned. And that was the kind of... Mm. Now we look at that aghast and think, how can that? But that's, that was the attitude of the time. So in 2016 for various long medical reasons, mm. um, I needed to have a full hysterectomy. I, have, I had a lifetime of endometriosis. Yeah. Endometriosis is a very painful condition. Um, <laughs> of basically involves uh, scar tissue forming in your, your, your fallopian tubes and that mm. sort of thing. I found out later that it was actually on my bladder and my bowel as well, so that was why I was in so much pain. Um, so it was, it was decided that I needed to have a full hysterectomy. So I, you know, you do the normal thing, you check with your bosses, you clear the time off work, all that sort of stuff. Um, it never occurred to me that I needed to tell anybody else because it's private. And it was the morning of the last show before I was going to have time off work where Linda Robson pointed out, you know, she, what, what are you going to tell them, sweetheart? She strikes me as quite a straight talker. She's lovely. Yeah, she we seems, all I, she call her Nana Linda. But She's I love lovely. that. She, I mean, a straight talker in the sense that I think she would. There'd be no BS. No, Do you no. know what I mean? She's and just, she's got your best interest, one hundred percent at heart. And I said, "Oh, I'm not going to tell them anything because it's nobody else's business." Um, she said, "You've got to tell them something, sweetheart. They'll think you've been fired." Oh my God! I didn't even thought about that. <laughs> so basically, um, on air, I. I Linda cornered me and she went, never mind all that, this is just before the show was going to end, and it's live television, you've got something to say, haven't you? And I kind of went a bit, ugh. And I said, yes, uh, oh, um, actually, I'm going to be off work for six weeks because uh, tomorrow I'm having a hysterectomy. So if you're wondering where I am, that's where where I'll be, and uh, I'll see you then, sort of thing. I was... I don't know how I felt. I mean, I was... Obviously, I knew I had to say something, so there we are. It's out there. I was also a bit scared because if you say the word hysterectomy and everyone knows it's got menopause connotations, I thought everyone would think I was old and that 
I could lose my job over it because then you're not seen as relevant or vibrant or all the kind of words they only use for women in the media and not for men. So I, I went home, I went to bed the next day, woke up, had the operation. And what I didn't know is while all that was happening, within 24 hours, 10,000 women got in touch. Now that's both with the, with the, with the show, with me, directly. And they were clamoring for information. Mm. They, and not just in a nosy way, but they wanted to know why I was having the hysterectomy, what had led up to it, um, they were going to have one, what information could I share. This now meant I was going to go into full surgical menopause, how was I going to cope with that, what were my thoughts on HRT. It was mind-blowing. And when that happened, something clicked in my brain and I just thought, you've been looking at this all wrong. You're, you're keeping quiet because you're worried about your job, you're worried about how you're going to be seen. And actually, if this is how I feel and I'm on the telly and people look up to me and think, well, wow, what she does is a really amazing yeah. job. What must it feel like if, if you don't have that opportunity and actually you're being really, really disingenuous and you're not being fair to the sisterhood if you just ignore all of these women and just crack on and carry on pretending you've got this fabulous life and everything is lovely yeah. and sweeping back into work and going oh how do you me as a total breeze anyone who yeah. struggles well they just need to they need to eat more kale and jog yeah. because <laughs> that is kind of how I think women have been treated in the past so it totally changed my mind and I thought I need to find out more so I can pass the message mm. on so I went back to the doctor who'd helped me she was a lovely woman who I saw through the mm. NHS and I said to her I'm thinking of writing a book could you do the medical stuff for me mm. and she was lovely and said yes so I made the book part autobiographical in terms of this is my hormonal journey because uh, hormones I wanted to show that hormones play such an important part in our life from as a young woman, as a young teenager. Yeah. Uh, and actually that's where your journey starts. You think of the menopause as the only time that hormones come into play, but it's not. It's right from the very, well, it's from conception, clearly. Well, that's but, you what, know. and that's what I, I really loved the book, by the way. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And personally, I was fascinated. But I also liked the way, yeah, I felt it was like the narrative of your, your story as a woman, essentially, and how you're, how your body worked and again that's something that I think as women we're not encouraged to ask too much about and I've always wondered is it because we're sort of internally everything's inside and it's like we'll just keep it all there whereas yeah, you know yeah. but I also think I love it because it's it's the it's encouraging women to not feel shamed about getting older as well and to ask questions and um, there's a diary as well you have which is at times it's very difficult what you go through, you know, post... It's raw. Yeah. I get, and the, the diary that is in the book is not airbrushed. This no. is literally what I wrote day by day uh, for the full month of what happens immediately after having a, a full surgical, uh, a full hysterectomy. So at this point, you were with Nick and... And that was quite a test. I mean, it's not a, that, you know, you've been together for a bit, but still that's, you write about that in a book in terms of how it not affects your relationship, but things that you have to face together. Yeah, and it does affect your relationship. And I think that one of the, one of the key reasons I think that we need to talk more about 
this stage that every woman who is fortunate enough to reach their 40s um, will experience. So we're talking about half the population of the entire world um, is clearly female, if you, if you want to just split it in binary. Um, and obviously, in, in relationships, you're talking, about, you're talking about a wife or a mother or a sister or a daughter or a work colleague. You are, at some point in your life, you are going to be next to, whether in a, you know, just in a friendly capacity or otherwise, a woman who is experiencing this stage in her life. And yet we don't talk about it. Mm. And for me, uh, talking about it within a relationship is the most important part of going through the menopause because if you think about it statistically most marriages or long-term relationships break down in in your sort of 40s you know we joke about it that you know people leave college or whatever and then you go through the whole thing of oh yeah i'm just going to so many weddings at the moment everyone's getting married and then oh we're going to so many christenings oh my I god the white trouser suit weddings <laughs> which is when you get to our age you go to the wedding and there's a white trouser suit instead of the dress instead of the dress <laughs> exactly and then you start having the it's the the divorce wine evenings that you're sitting you know listening to to you know women talk about their experiences and I'm not saying in all cases clearly not but in many cases relationships that break down for 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 women in their 40s and 50s and beyond the, the menopause is a key part of that because it's such a huge hormonal shift your your behavior does does change hello <laughs> who's that uh, that's a friend of my mum and dad's oh come on Raymond <laughs> But do you think as well, and it's interesting, Andrew, because I think traditionally, I know our mother's generation, my mother, it was sort of that mad men thing of the slight, you know, there's, there's a separation bet- between women and what they do in private, and that's women's talk. And yes, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Even the, oh, that God, thing yeah, of having yeah. a baby, traditionally, it was like the women would gather round, and it was women discussed that. Very much. And, and you know, even... Um, in terms of how I was with my first relationship and, and when I first got, got, got married to, as I say, my, it was, he was my first boyfriend, I was basing a lot of that on my parents' relationship, mm. which was, you know, never mind the fact that I was working ridiculously long hours and I'd also, uh, I'd had a baby and, and what have you, I was still running the house and looking after the baby. And what that meant was that, uh, when he got home from work, he wanted to come home to a tidy home because he'd had a long day. So what I used to do was, you know, bath, bathe, do whatever, tidy up the whole house so that I had no trace of plastic toys and no muslin cloths drying anywhere, get changed, put a fresh outfit on, make his dinner and make sure that when he walked in the door, I'd hand him a beer and go, how was your day? Because that's how I was raised. Charlie, the producer, who's recently had a baby, is sort of standing there with her mouth open. But I, but I think that's fascinating. So what you're doing, again, and it's, is not taking up space, is pretending that, that the realities of, of motherhood don't exist in a way. You're, yeah, made, yeah, you're turning yeah. it into like a movie version. A movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or a Disney heroine. To, to, oh, my God. I it mean, to be honest, out. I've spent my whole life trying to be like Enchanted. And I realised... <laughs> <laughs> I 
I've realized now at my I wasted so much time thinking that actually life could be like a Disney movie. Look at this beautiful dog running towards Hello. us. You are the most beautiful thing. Hello. What sort of dog is, is that? I'm not Andrea? interested in you. There are other dogs. He looks like some kind of chocolate lab, doesn't yeah. he? He looks so excited. Oh, he was so Oh, look at them. <laughs> Oh, that's But I so think cute. our generation, you know, women in their late 40s now, I think we were, it was a strange generation because we got these mixed messages yes. of be independent, earn money, go out in your power suit, be all these things, but equally... When you get home, yeah. you better have the dinner on the table. Yeah. yeah. And always look immaculate and don't... Don't be crazy and mad. I mean, it was a lot. Yeah. It was a oh, lot. No, I, I remember being asked, I won't say who, who by, well, you know you work all these long hours, but um, what does he do for breakfast? Because you leave the house before him. So he gets his own breakfast. Do you really think that's right? So, well, he's a grown man. He can get his own, he can get his own breakfast. Do you sorry, cook, sorry about that, Nick. Do you cook him breakfast at the weekends? I go hungry. I don't. <laughs> Nick, you look great. I'm now on my third marriage, and Nick is very thin and very hungry. I was going to say, Nick's looking great. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the tour, because obviously this became a very successful book, and now... It's become a tour, which I'm so excited about because I'm coming to see you. Brilliant. So brilliant, how's brilliant. The, how does the live show work then? Well, the, I mean, we don't want to give too much away. There's, but there's an in-between stage in that oh, yeah, when, I, when I finished the, the, the book, I typed the end and I thought, I don't want this conversation to finish. You know, no. we're, we're now talking about not feeling shame, about feeling brave enough to... to start again if you like you know don't see the this period in your life as just as it's called the change but actually the change can be for the good so yeah we started a website called thisgirlisonfire.co.uk and originally the name was sort of a bit of a joke obviously about hot flushes and this sort of thing but we also wanted it to to represent the fact that actually women especially women of our sort of age Mm. are amazing because we've got all this experience, all this life experience. We've finally started to figure things out. Yeah. But it's also the time when many women can start to feel invisible. Yes. And that's such a, <laughs> such a shame because you've just got to this point where you know all this stuff. And then you're expected to go off well, quietly I, into the night. It I loved just it. Seem when right. you wrote about that in your book, I loved that. Because there is a part of me that thinks, is it a coincidental irony or is it because you're quite powerful so once yeah. you start stop feeling like a victim once you stop feeling passive once you stop feeling like you're only there your only currency is beauty yes you yeah. become a bit more dangerous essentially well, i think i think you're entirely right and i also th- and think that um because we live in such a patriarchal society mm. where the, the women, right, o- obviously we're, <laughs> we're <laughs> it's gone very quiet. But no, but that, take, that to me, that Nick just sits there and listens to this and does, that to me takes a confident man. Yes, it does. Do you know what I mean? Because it's, yeah. But yeah. Nick, well, Sorry, know, your we, point was. We were talking before about, you know, oh, it was women's things. You don't talk about. Yeah. And I'm not, I am in no way saying that, you know, we, we need to run around shouting about every single aspect of right. our lives that, you know, we, we don't need to overshare. But the, I think there's a power in women that a lot of the time we're 
we're almost scared to let our full selves show. And I'm only realizing this now as someone who's always dim. I've kept myself small. I've done it in relationships so that they would to try and make sure that they survived. Mm. Clearly it didn't work. Um, I've done it in my career at times. Oh, well, just keep quiet because, you know, don't make it, don't make a fuss. I've, 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 I've done it many, many times throughout my life, but actually the, there was a quote we read recently, wasn't there, Nick? What was it said? Well, it's, not, it's not darkness that we fear, it's actually how bright that we can become. Yeah. And basically we're, we're almost too scared yeah. of what might happen if we do become this brilliant thing that we're capable of. Yeah, yeah, if we allow ourselves to shine. And it's something that, I mean, maybe I'm a really blooming slow learner, but I've only, <laughs> only just realized this. And for me, the, the, the website has become this absolute passion project of mine of giving women the opportunity to become the best possible version of themselves, whatever themselves yeah. is. There's, there's no cookie cutter thing for how a woman should be. We're all unique and we're all, we're all different and our strengths you know, lie in, in, in all sorts of different directions. So for me, it's about encouraging women to just be the best version of themselves. So in terms of what the, the tour is about, it's kind of, it's a bit of taking that on tour. It's, it, the, yeah. the, it started out, it was going to be linked to the book. We, we had to change the dates because of scheduling and yeah, all, of all sorts, all sorts and of reasons. Because you've got to do, it's like, it's a big deal doing a yeah. tour like that. Yeah. But actually, you know, at the time you think, oh God, no, we've got to change everything. Actually, it's been brilliant. Yeah. Because since SAS Who Does Wins has <gasps> come out, Suddenly, people are, are wanting to know all sorts about all sorts of things about me in terms of what it was like taking part in it, but also I've become much more in people's consciousness in terms of not just the you're just the one that sits on the end on well, that woman's show podcast as well. Yeah. yeah, and so actually, people are wanting to know more and more about what's it been like working in live television for 20 years. Who have you interviewed? Who's been the worst guest? Who's been the best guest? Who's Tell us some guest? funny stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Come and see me. <laughs> Come and see me, and you will you'll find but it, out. But it's interesting that, isn't it? That I think what you're talking about and what I recognise is that thing about because I think when sometimes when you're younger, there's that sense of having to pretend to be someone. Hmm. And actually, the irony is the most attractive thing you can be as a human being is authentic, is yourself. Yeah. And sometimes. I think it's probably about eight months ago I worked that out. Yeah. So, what are we like? We're so slow. <laughs> I look at I look at kids nowadays and I think, oh my word, you're figuring everything out so I early. You you don't you're almost missing out this big chunk of rite of passage of tortured angst of not knowing what you're doing. They all seem to have it figured out. I wanted to also mention. Um, which is sure I don't know if that's something you're going to talk about on your tour. I hope it is, but you're brush with the SAS yeah, training. Well, the, the SAS is, is definitely going to be <gasps> mentioned because that um, was extraordinary, I'm, I'm trying to, I, I can show photos, obviously, of, of what happened, but I'm trying to see if I can get to show actual footage because whilst millions of people saw me fall backwards out of a helicopter and land headfirst in a lake, like you do, I've only recently pieced together what I, what I think is actually happening at the moment. And... It's been really well documented that obviously I've had a, let's kind of, in a, let's make it nice and neat and call it a decade, but I've had a really difficult period in my life, 15, 10, 15 years or so, where my, my personal life has been incredibly difficult. I've, 
you know, I was married twice before I met Nick. Um, I've had some really serious health issues. Um, I've had life-threatening health issues. I've had mental health issues where I've had depression. I've suffered with extreme anxiety that is debilitating to the point where I've, I've had to take myself off a train because I was having such a, a panic attack I couldn't go into work one day. Um, you know, I've been, I've really had quite a, a difficult time of it. And what I realized in the aftermath of, of SAS Who Dares Wins, and the reason I did it was I wanted to challenge myself and see what I was capable of. But what I, what I also realized was I'd forgotten how to be brave. And when I look back on my, my early life, obviously moving around and all this sort of stuff, it takes a certain amount of bravery to, to walk into a classroom over and over again and go, hi, I'm Andrea, I'm the new girl. And there's a, bra there's a bravery in that. And then there's, I was so brave, I went backpacking around the world. I moved to London on my own. With, well, I'm going you to know. hug you because you're being, oh. you're giving yourself the credit <laughs> you deserve. And it's right, you were brave. Oh, and thank you. All, and you've spoken out about, and I'm, I'm personally very grateful to you because, you know, I, I think about that sort of stuff. I think, should I go on HRT? I don't know whether to ask my friends. Will they think I'm old? Yeah. And, that. and when I ask them, will they say behind my back, God, Emily's knocking on a bit. I thought she was... Do you know what I mean? It's that, and actually, yeah. it, it's really lovely. What you've done is really important. And I think you've not just written a book or doing a live show. You're actually really helping other women. Oh, I hope so. I really hope so. Because it, sometimes you, on, you only know about things when you have conversations like we've had, mm. where, you know, you've made me look at some things that I, I'd never realised. If we turn left just here. Um, that you're right, I'd, not, I'd never thought about it before. But actually, although I've, I've been quite quiet and looked at life from the, the sidelines, as it were, being quite an observer, you're a change maker, I actually do stand up when I think things yeah. need to be said. And that's what I'm doing now. Where's your car? Where's your We're car? Just here. Okay. Okay. This has been such a lovely day. And I got to meet Nick. And have you, I know you fostered some puppies recently. Of course, we haven't even talked. And you've given them back. That was just a brief thing. Yeah, we, we've done it twice now. We, we? After we lost Jackson and I'd, we'd kind of had our raw moment of grief. And then we spoke about, do we ever get another dog again? We, we got in touch with Battersea and asked whether we could take part in their fostering program. So a lot of, we've had a few people say, oh, you're an ambassador, you're just doing this as some sort of celeb thing. We're doing this as a normal human beings yeah. who just want to foster dogs thing. Yeah. And so we've fostered a few now, and it's really wonderful because these incredible dogs come into our lives for a few weeks at a time, and we get to know all these different breeds and all their different little quirks and personalities. And the last set we had were three little tiny Staffordshire Bull Terrier oh. pups who were weeny. I mean, they were like little sausages, weren't they? Yeah. And it was lovely, really lovely. Is it lovely. sad to say goodbye to them? Or did you just feel, no, they were here and we helped them and they've yeah. gone to a forever home now? Yes, yeah. and, and I feel that they've brought some love into our life and we've brought some love into theirs. And mm. sort of going full circle, I know we, we spoke about Jackson right at the start of this. Um, my daughter, Amy, we went to see, well, obviously we've seen A Dog's Purpose and we went to see A Dog's Journey recently. I mean, I was destroyed. We, we literally <laughs> oh sobbed all the way through it. And we, we came out and she said, 
that's actually made me feel better about Jackson because, and this is something I really do feel, that your a dog comes into your life when you need them, and then they, and then they go, yeah. but they're going to go and help someone else. And how I feel is Jackson is now helping someone else who needs them more than we do. I know. I really, it, it's, it, it's like, you know what, they're like Mary Poppins, it's true. Or There's, Nanny McPhee. Yeah, Nanny McPhee, yeah. it's so true. That's what I feel like. I had was struggling so much with grief and he came in and that's when people say, oh, don't, aren't you panicking? Makes me feel better and I hope other people listening to this feel better hearing what you've said. That Of course it's hard and it's sad and it's awful losing a pet, but that sense of they existed. That was imp that's what I learned through grief. Is that there's a Maya Angelou quote, which is, "You can be better. That you, we can be, be and be better because they existed." So I feel that about mm. your dog, and I feel I'll always think, "God, they were there when I needed them." Yeah, Definitely. and Jackson was for me, and you know, Jackson loved you so much, and I feel like he kind of knows. You know, she's all right now. She's she's with him. Oh, he handed over the baton yeah. to Nick. How cute. Nick's actually got tears in his eyes. I'm just so love Nick by this point. I don't know what to do with myself. I better leave you before it all gets ugly. Um, oh, Andrea, I cannot you tell you today. how much I've enjoyed this. I, feel, I genuinely feel like I've made a friend. It's not just you're an amazing person and I love Nick. And I'm so happy for you that you've changed your life, actually, in more than one way. I think everyone should read your book. It's absolutely brilliant, and it really opened my eyes up. Even if you're not going through the menopause, millennials, it's going to happen to you. There's no getting away from it. Read it now. You're going to have to say goodbye to Ray now, Andrea. Oh, Do you bye want bye. to give him a little kiss? I mean, he's Hello. a bit smelly. Hello, stink bomb. I really hope you enjoyed listening to that, and do remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.